Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in three areas of Scripture, Ezekiel chapter 16 as well. And Ezekiel is a book in the Bible. It's not just a name you give your child. Ezekiel chapter 16, Hebrews chapter 1, and Luke's gospel chapter 22. Once again, Ezekiel 16, Hebrews 1, and Luke 22. We have been camping out in our chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 10. And today, we will again camp out in that text as we've looked at marriage, divorce, and now family. And so those areas of Scripture, Ezekiel 16, Hebrews 1, Luke 22. Did you enjoy that VBS volunteer uh, video? Those were our kids. Now volunteer. Who's going to volunteer for VBS? Why are there like six hands up? What excuse do you have? Those are real excuses that we've gotten before, especially the, I tithe. What else do they want from me? I thought that was perfect. thought that was perfect. Let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts. Savior, we do come before you and ask now in Jesus' name that you would speak to us words of life. We pray, God, that your word would change us. It's why we've come here on a Sunday morning. We've come to study. So now I ask in Jesus' name that you would use your word to change our lives. And I pray that as we learn about our Father and how you parent us, that we would grow as parents, as people that invest into others ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 14, it's on the artwork that's in front of me that uh, Noella did three weeks ago during our worship time. Mark chapter 10, verse 14, let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. This statement sums up God's heart for our home. We are to bring our kids to Jesus. Now, this goes all the way back to God's intent in the Old Testament. Take a look at the screen. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, as well as verse 9. God says, and these words, this is God speaking, which I command you today shall be in your heart. So he's speaking to the parents, and he says, I want you to have a relationship with God and for God's word to be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so you know all of those Thomas Kincaid pictures with a little bit of a verse underneath it. That is actually scriptural when you put that up in your house because parents' responsibility, since God picked his nation, Israel, was to pass on the legacy of faith. Now, in order to do this, parents need to know the parenting principles of faith that's expressed by our Father. So this message is not just for parents. It's for all of us to learn how God has been parenting us 
our Father. That's how he refers to himself. Paul, when he is speaking about our Father, he goes a step further and he calls him Abba. Abba. I'll never forget in Israel, there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, a snake was in the grass. A literal snake was in the grass. There's a four-year-old little boy, and his dad was standing there, and the little boy saw the snake, and then all of a sudden, he turns to his dad, and he says, Abba, Abba, and he starts running into the arms of his dad. See, Paul used this word, Abba, because it's a more intimate term. It's a more intimate term between a, de- a child and his father. It's like saying, Daddy. And our father, with this term, He's expressing how intricately and intimately he's involved with every aspect of his, our lives. In fact, take a look at the screen. He's so involved. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you're the father, we're the clay, you're the potter, we're the work of your hand. In other words, God is all in and up our business. He has just got his hands into everything. Do you remember that song from Bette Midler, God is watching us from a distance? If you agree, that's how old you are. <laughs> he is not watching us from a distance. He's all in and up our business. He's got his hands in every aspect of our lives. So involved. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. When you were in your mom's belly, I remember when you elbowed her because she moved the wrong direction. And I remember when you were in the womb and she, (laughs) when Andrea was nine months pregnant, rolling over was like this. And then all of a sudden, one of the babies, it would just kind of go until she'd go back on the other side. And God says, I knew when you were upset that your mom rolled over and you had her turn back on the other side so you could stay a little more comfortable. God's intricately involved. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he's so involved, he knows the plan that he has for us. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He's so intricately involved with our lives. When Andre and I started our parenting career, well, we started reading all of these parenting books. And it's amazing to me. Those books must have worked for their kids because they didn't work for our kids. And I came to realize that all of these books, well, I'll never forget, we were living in Liberia in the middle of a war. And so all of our children slept in our bedroom. Because if the war broke out, you might not be able to cross the hallway to get to their bedroom. So during the heat of the war, they just lived in our room. Well, I'll never forget, we came home to the United States of America. And this was during the era of Raising Kids God's Way. It was a book that was out, Raising Kids God's Way. Well, I remember communicating, my wife was communicating to someone, a lady that was there at a party, and she said, well, all of our kids sleep in our room. Well, this woman just raised her shoulders up like this. It was like abject horror. And she looked at Andre and said, you are not raising kids God's way. Andre was devastated because the book said that your children should never be in your room. 
And now, here we are living in a war. Andrea, on the way home, she begins to cry. I'm not raising kids God's way. Andrea, the book worked for them because they live in the United States of America. We live in Liberia, West Africa. So you know what I did when I got home? I threw away all the books. Every blessed one of them, I threw them all away. And I told my wife, let's learn how the Father has parented us so that we can be the kind of parent that he is to our kids. And what we found were five different things about parenting that our Father parents us. Our Father, he believes in the importance of nurturing relationships with his children. Our Father... He has the power of godly communication and the way that he communicates to his kids. The vitality of honor and authority. The responsibility of disciplining your children. And the gift of teaching life skills. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at these five things and learn the way that our Father parents us. Now, we've got some choices to make. We can choose to follow in the footsteps of our Father. We can learn these principles and gain some understanding, or we can meander in the mess of men. That's a choice. You can choose not to learn the principles and just stay in the mess. Or we can learn these principles together and redeem the record with righteousness. Let me tell you something, parent, and let me tell you something, child. It's never too late to redeem the relationship with your child or with your parent. Now, before we get started, let me tell you something. I got nine kids, okay? Let me tell you something about my house. There is a problem at my house at any given time. Someone was pulling someone's hair. Someone was falling down. Someone was yelling at someone, and someone was saying, take off my sweater. I mean, it was just a normal part of my house. There was a problem at any given moment. In fact, I think it created something in my wife that we call the happy place. She would just be singing Amazing Grace as everything chaos was breaking around in our house. It's amazing. And I'll never forget one time we came home from Liberia and my kids, now remember, we didn't have running water and we didn't have electricity in Africa. So my kids came home and we were eating dinner at a friend's house. And all of a sudden, my friend's kids come running in saying, Mom, Dad, the missionary kids are peeing on the wall outside. (laughs) They were. And I walked out, and there they were. They didn't know how to use a bathroom. And here we were, uh, coming from Africa straight uh, to the States, and we went straight to this dinner, and they just were doing what they were supposed to do. There's a reason I'm telling you this story. Because the last thing I'm going to do is put a guilt trip on any of you. I got nine kids. I've made every mistake you could possibly... You know I've made mistakes. You guys are afraid to laugh because I'm the pastor. It's like, can't does he? Does he not? Do you know that I've made mistakes? Do you know that you've made mistakes? And when you've got nine kids, I've made every mistake in the book. So we chose to live by three rules. Love God, love one another, and have grace for each other. So as we walk into these principles, I want us to have grace for each other. Let's take a look at the first one. The importance of nurturing relationships. Now, I want to follow the footsteps of our Father. So take a look at Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, look at verse 6. Ezekiel chapter 16, I'll pick it up there in verse 6. 
when I passed by you, saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. Live. This verse is the reason why Christians are pro-life. When God sees babies, he speaks life to them. He speaks life to them. You see, the heart of every parent is to see their child successful. And the heart of God is to see that you are successful. So he speaks into our life, live. And this word, it means to be alive. Not just to live life, but to really live life. He wants us to be alive. Take a look at verse 7. It'll begin to explain itself there in verse 7. He says, I made you thrive like a plant in the field. You grew, matured. You became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed. Your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. You see, this verse begins to help us understand God's heart. When he sees his child, just like you, when your child was born, you want nothing but success and for that child to thrive. I remember when our first child was born. And I thought when babies came out, they looked like pamper babies. So, you know, pampers, like the, there's the little kid, and he's just smiling on a, a diaper bed, just like this. That's not what they look like. If you've not seen one, God help you when you do. And I remember looking at my firstborn son going, well, he's healthy. But as I held him in my arms... I wanted nothing but for him to thrive. And as he was there in that blanket, my wife had prepared a nursery. I mean, we wanted this young boy to make it in life. But they grow. And God knows that. (laughs) Don't say amen if your kid is sitting right next to you. Take a look at verse 8. When I passed by you again, in other words, when you'd grown some and I looked upon you, Indeed, your time was the time of love. In other words, you had matured and become a teenager. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. I want you to see what happens here. God, he wants to see us thrive But as we grow, he covers over us. In other words, he teaches us age-appropriate lessons. As we can handle them, he begins to communicate to us different things about our walk of faith. It's the same thing we do as parents. When Timon was born, we actually moved from Montana, and we went back to live in the Bahamas for about five years of of the beginning of his life. We wanted my family to know their family in the Bahamas. So I lived in the Bahamas, and I actually worked in Fort Lauderdale. And so we were living there, and in the Bahamas, things are a little bit different. Kids grow up on the beach, and they grow up in the water. And young children, don't kill me, well, they don't wear a lot of clothes. So Timon didn't wear a lot of clothes. And, you know, it wasn't a big deal. He's two years old. He's three years old. He's four years old. Around the age of five, we realized it was time to put clothes on. My daughters had four friends, sisters, that used to come over to the house. 
And one day they knocked on the door and opened the door, and Timon answered the door. So the four little girls come in, and they're all two, four, six, and seven years old. They come walking in, and Timon at five years old is so excited about he's going to get to go in the pool. He goes, it's party time, and takes off all of his clothes. It was at that point that we realized we needed to cover over him, and it was time to wear some swim trunks. You're of that age now where it's time to grow. That's what God does. And in that time, he makes a covenant with us. Now, a covenant is a commitment because raising children in the Lord is not just a commitment. It's a covenant between your child and God. And what the Lord does now is give us some conditions for the parent of the covenant that we're to make. Take a look, if you would, Ezekiel chapter 16. I'll pick it up in verse 9. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil. Stop there, if you would. He washes us clean. Let me tell you why. He expects us to get dirty. You ever put new clothes on kids and tell them, don't get it dirty? You're setting yourself up for failure just by tide. Because as soon as you put those new tennis shoes on your child, they will walk right into the mom. Mom, look, look, look. It's just going to happen. As soon as you put that new little onesie on that three-month-old, It's just going to happen. You can't put new clothes on a kid and expect them not to get dirty. Our job as parents is to expect they're going to get dirty and to wash them with the water of the Word. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. Now, I don't know how you speak to your children, but my wife... When she was raising our kids, she made a commitment that she was going to speak the word of God to them. So she never went to them, you need to stop doing that. She did this. The Bible says, be kind one to another. And when they were fighting over a sweater, the Bible says, if someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic as well. When they were arguing over this, she would say, the Bible says, that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you want her to treat you like that? And she would just speak the word of them. So much so that one day, My wife homeschooled all of our kids for nine years. Amen. One day, she got frustrated. So the kids were just, and all of a sudden, she went like this. Would everyone just shut up? My kids were shocked. My youngest, Timon, he looked at her and he says, Mom, we don't say that word in this house. And he goes, she goes, Timon. And Timon went like this. I'm just saying. Don't worry, I won't tell dad on you. That's how surprised they were because she would always wash them with the word. But take a look what else he does. He anoints us. Can I tell you, kids are going to get hurt. Kids are going to lose their way. Kids are going to get lost. Kids are going to do things that disappoint you. And when they're hurt and they come to you, mom, dad, like you'll never believe. And you go, 
look, I'm having a bad day. Just get over it, all right, dude? No, no, no. God anoints us. Take a look. It's Isaiah. When we've got our bad day, look what God does. He consoles those who mourn in Zion, gives them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You see, our kids are going to get hurt. They're going to go out and friends are going to hurt their feelings. Our job is to build them up and to edify them and take that sadness, turn it into joy. That's a covenant of a parent. Take a look what else he does. I clothed you, verse 10, in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I guess that was like Giorgio Romani or something at that time. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I clothed you. Do you know that it is bound up in the heart of a child to bite another child? Like, you don't have to teach them that. Do you know that it's bound up in another child to pull another child's hair? Do you know that it's bound up in a child to steal and to take and think of no one else but themselves? That's what children do. The job of a parent is to take those clothes off the same way that our father does with us and put on clothes of righteousness. That's what a parent does. While we were in the Bahamas, my uncle lived on a dock. And so Selah, she used to feed the little fish that were over on the other side of the dock. And there she was, about five or six years old, and she's throwing bread to the fish. Oh, go, 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 go. look at the fish. Ooh, you know, and I'm thinking, that fish is a snapper and we need to eat it. Okay, but different story. So she's feeding the bread. I'm like, go ahead, sweetie, you keep fattening them up. We'll catch them later. You know? And she's just putting them in, putting it in. Well, Timon was behind her. You know where it's going. And Timon, probably four years old, he looks this way, and he looks this way. He doesn't see me behind him. And he does this. And Selah goes toppling into the canal. What he didn't know is the line for the boat was right there. And when Selah went over, it caught her neck. So she was choking on the line. So I ran into the canal, and I hit the line so that she fell in, and then I grabbed her and brought her on the boat. When I got on the boat, I looked immediately at Timon, and he went like this. Wee. Like, wasn't that fun? No, it wasn't. And you're in a lot of trouble. And we're going to take that mischief off you. And we're going to put righteousness on you. That's what parents do. Listen, look at Colossians chapter 3. The Bible says, as the elect of God, because we're God's kids, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Our jo- God's job is to take that mischief out of us and put meekness upon us. That is his role. But take a look. What else our Father does? It's Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 11. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrists, chains on your neck, and I put a jewel in your nose. Now, if you're fighting with your parents about getting a nose ring, do not blame God now for wanting one. He adorns us. He adorns us. Hey, parents, kids are going to rebel. They're going to be disobedient. 
So I have a question. We're going to take a little survey, and I want everyone to participate, please. If you're saved and you're still sinning, raise your hand. God's had it with all of you. No, for real. Like, (laughs) he is. He is pulling his hair out. He is done. John writes the church, and he says this in 1 John chapter 1. He said, listen, if you say you're without sin, he's writing the church, people that believe. He says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. To that church, he then says this in 1 John chapter 3. Take a look at the screen. To that sinning church, he says this. Behold, what manner of love can you believe God loves sinners? He even loves people that are saved that are in sin. Now, we've got to confess that sin and make our relationship right with God. But take a look. He's not pulling his hair out. He's not fed up with us. He's not quitting. He's not giving up. He's not kicking you out of the house. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we, sinners, saved by grace, should be called the children of God. He adorns us. He lavishes us with love. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about that kind of love. Now, you can make the choice to follow the footsteps of the Father, or you can meander in the mess of men. Let me explain what that means. We don't have a lot of good parents in the Bible. In fact, we learn from their bad example. Let me give you an example. Solomon. Solomon was a dad. He had a son by the name of Rehoboam. You can read this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 10. Solomon dies, Rehoboam becomes king, and on inaugural day, he splits the kingdom. He decides to go to the young people and get advice instead of follow the wisdom of age. And on inaugural day, he splits the kingdom. Wait a second. Wasn't Solomon the wisest man in the world? Didn't he have the words of wisdom to give his child? Well, take a look at Proverbs chapter 2. You'll see several scriptures. Look at Proverbs. Look at the wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Come knowledge and understanding. This is Solomon investing it into his son. Take a look at the next. My son, don't forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Then look, I've taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. In fact, If you read Proverbs chapters 1 through 7, it's like a parenting handbook. Rehoboam, what happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. Solomon didn't nurture his relationship with his son. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 19. I believe it's the saddest verse in the Bible. Solomon says of Rehoboam, who knows whether he'll be a wise or a fool, yet he's going to rule over all my labor in which I toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun, this is also vanity. What a sad statement. Solomon didn't know his son, whether he was wise or foolish. He was so busy about his job, so busy about the women, so busy about his own life, he had no relationship with his son. He had all the right words but he didn't have the right relationship. He had all the right rules. Parents, listen. 
Rules without relationship generates rebellion. Rules without relationship generates rebellion. You see, that's why God sent his son, so that we could be in relationship with him, and then Jesus would say, "If listen, if you love me, obey my commandments. Do what I'm asking you to do. I've shown you relationship. Now I want you to follow me. Church, our children need a right relationship that models the behavior that we're speaking into their lives. And this is just not the the quality of our words. Look how qualified Solomon was. It's the quantity of our time. And living in the same house doesn't simply qualify. Hey, son, how you doing? Great. Go to your room. Go to your room. Hey, dad, how you doing? Good. Sometimes you get this. Hey, how was your day? (laughs) It's amazing if you add up the words, the actual words of conversation that you have in your home, how many words it might be. You see, relationship takes time. So now we can, listen, parents, redeem the record with righteousness. So I want to tell you about another father. His name is Jairus. Oh, Jairus was a synagogue ruler. In fact, an enemy of Jesus, but his child was dying. She was dying. And Jairus had tried everything in the world besides Jesus. He tried everything. In Mark chapter 5, he brought doctors, he brought professionals, he brought therapists, he brought everyone in the world except Jesus. But now he's desperate, and what would he do? The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 22, Behold, in other words, surprise, it's Jairus. One of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He humbled himself and he invited Jesus into the problem. He humbled himself and he said, Jesus, I need you to help me with my child. And at that moment where he humbled himself, Jairus entered into a relationship with Jesus. And there are a lot of kids that are driving a lot of parents to Jesus. You see, what Jesus will do is not just help the child, but he's going to help the parent. And so Jesus, he starts going to Jairus' house. He's going to speak into the 12-year-old girl's life. But then someone touches Jairus. Someone touches Jesus. And Jesus turns around and goes, who touched me? Now, you be Jairus for a moment. Your 12-year-old daughter is dying. And Jesus stops, and he turns, and he speaks to this woman. If I'm Jairus, I don't think you understand, lady. I'm sorry you're bleeding and all, but i got to get Jesus to my house. Like, <laughs> my daughter is dying. Like, you got to get out of here, lady. I mean, Jesus, what are you doing stopping? And in the middle of all of this, people show up from Jairus' house and say, hey, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter's dead. Now, if I'm Jairus, I raised my child in church. Like I did everything right. I came to you. I mean, come on, Jesus. And Jesus looked at Jairus and he said powerful words of life. He said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. 
And Jesus started walking to Jairus' house, and now Jairus is in relationship with Jesus, and he follows him into the house. He follows him into the room where his dead daughter lied, and Jesus got down on his knees, and he spoke the word of life, and the child became alive. Parent, let me tell you something. Invite Jesus into your parenting and speak his word into your children's lives. But the only way it will come out of your mouth is if he's in your heart. You have got to purpose to follow Jesus. And when you're following Jesus, he will speak life through you into your child's life. You've got to build this kind of relationship with God to build that kind of relationship with your children because values are caught, not taught. Just ask Solomon. They watch our lives in the context of relationship and values are caught, not taught. Secondly, I want us to talk not just about the nurturing of relationship, but this father principle of the power of godly communication. The power of godly communication. Well, let's follow in the father's footsteps. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I ask you to turn there at the beginning of our study. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to pick it up there in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways, so he's used all kinds of methods to get our attention, Various times and various ways, spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. God has been speaking to people since people were created. Since the creation. He used everything from his word. He's used animals. He's used weather. He has used whatever it's taken to get the point across. And in Genesis chapter 2, we see his way of communication. The Bible says in Genesis 2 that after Adam was created, God made a garden for him. Adam got to watch God's act of love. God was communicating to Adam as Adam watched God make a garden just for Adam. The world was created. This was a special place that God was making. And after he communicated his love by his action, God then said of the garden, you can eat anything in this garden except for that tree. He showed his love first and then spoke words of life. See, the point of communication is to relay information to someone else in such a way to gain mutual understanding. And God has a way to describe his position. God has a way to describe his love. And so we've got to get to know our Father's way of communicating. Jesus did. Look at John chapter 12. It's on the screen, verse 49. I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, and what should I say, and what should I I say, and what should I speak? And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. 
Should that not become the goal of every parent in here? I only speak what the Father says to speak. How that would change so much of our speech to our children. Well, how did he speak? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus not only spoke truth, he lived truth. That was God's communication. The communication of our lives is just as important as the communication of our words. That's the Father's way. Or you can choose to meander in the mess of men. I'll tell you a story. It's about King David. The story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 15. You can look up later. It's only a few chapters after David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah, her husband. So that was David's example as a father. He had committed adultery with a woman and then killed the husband. A few chapters later, Amnon, David's son, having learned from David, he falls in love with his half-sister. And because David is silent on the issue and David is compromised, he goes to his younger friend, not his dad. He goes to TikTok. He goes to the TV. He goes to his music. And he gets all of his counsel from there. And the friend says, listen, if you want the girl, just sleep with her. Bad advice. And he does. David says nothing for two years. You know why? Because he slept with Bathsheba. But there's another son by the name of Absalom. And Absalom also watched David kill Uriah. So two years of silence from David, Absalom says, hey, Dad, I'd like to throw a party. And so he says, no, 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 I don't want you to throw a party. It's too much. And Absalom goes, no, 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 I want to throw a party. And can Amnon come? Now remember, Absalom is Tamar's brother who Amnon slept with. You'll get all the A's in just a moment. He invites him for a party, and Absalom, in the example of David, kills Amnon. Take a look. It's 2 Samuel chapter 13. It came to pass, while they were on the way, news came to David, saying, Absalom killed all the king's son. Not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, so the nephew, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they've killed all the young men, the king's son. Only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's son are dead. Only Amnon is dead. You see, with no communication, David communicated. With nothing said, David set an example. And his children were following that example. Andre and I were driving home from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and there was a guy there that made me very upset. So as I'm driving home and all the kids are in the back of the car, I am giving it to Andre about this guy. I'm, I can't believe him. He did this, and then he did this. I mean, he is this, and he is that. Andre's kind of doing this. 
Like she's like pressing my thigh, like kids are back there. <laughs> Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And next Sunday, my son walked up to the guy. Let me tell you what my dad thinks of you. Boom, 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 repeated the entire conversation. I was standing right there. Did you say this? I know what to do. I know what to say. And I had to confess. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. I should have told you to. Well, maybe I shouldn't have said it like that. But yes, I did. I'm very sorry. What was I going to do? Was I going to discipline my son? You see, we look at our kids and we say, I can't believe. Where did they learn this behavior? Hello. Hello. We've got to look at what we are communicating, and you can choose not to communicate, but it'll force your child to listen to someone else. You can choose not to communicate when they misbehave, but it will force your child to take control because you're relinquishing your authority. You might say to yourself, oh, it's so cute when they're five. When they're teenagers and they're still belching at the table, that's a problem. You see, the truth of Scripture is that we can redeem the record with righteousness. We don't have to go the way of David and stay silent. We can redeem the record with righteousness. It's Luke chapter 5. Peter is coming in contact with Jesus, and Jesus needed a boat. So he uses Peter's boat. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude. He taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus is there with Peter. He's speaking the word. He's communicating the word. He's investing faith into Peter. So he looks at Peter and he says, how long have you been out here? Been out here all night. Well, listen, let's launch out into the deep. Cast your net. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You're from Nazareth, like landlocked. I'm from the Sea of Galilee, seaside. Like, I know how to fish. You don't. But Jesus has been investing the word into Peter. So Peter responds to Jesus, and he says, Nevertheless, at your word. He's spoken the word to him. Something's happened in his life. Some kind of faith movement has happened in his life. He says, I'm going to let down my nets. And Peter discovered a lesson. That when I follow the word of Christ and what he speaks, I find my greatest success. Well, from that point on, Peter would listen to the word of Christ. He'd listen to many sermons. He'd listen to many lessons. He would finally get to the point of his life where he would tell Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. But he would also watch Jesus communicate his love by laying hands on a leper. He would watch the power of Jesus as he walked in the water in the midst of a storm. He would see Jesus communicate humility when he washed their feet. It's the way of the Father. Peter, Jesus had to spend a lot of time speaking to Peter because Peter had a repetitive problem of sticking his foot in his mouth. Jesus would challenge him. 
coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father would even silence him. You would think that Peter would get it. Otherwise, Jesus was going to pull his hair out. I mean, how many times do I have to tell you to make your bed? Amen? Amen? Is the silence conviction? Because Jesus, it's not how he chooses to handle it. No, Jesus, he will communicate to Peter the word in his spoken language and in his nonverbal language. I'm going to give you an example of it. It's right before the cross. It's Luke chapter 22. I ask you to turn there, and this is where we close. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Listen to what Jesus communicates. Simon, Simon, Luke 22, 31. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Remember I told you, parents know that kids get dirty? Jesus knew. He's not mad. He's not frustrated. He's not angry. He's not pulling his hair out. He's not doing the, I can't believe that you did this. What kind of child? No, 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 no. He's speaking words of life into Peter. I know you're about to make a mistake, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm expectant. You're not going to disappoint me. Like, I know what's going to happen. And I'm praying for you. So when you repent, when you return, God's going to use this in your life to strengthen you and everyone else around you. Peter, he would deny the Lord three times. But Peter, because Jesus communicated to him, he was the first to run to the tomb when he heard that Jesus was alive. The words of life became a lattice on the bridge of life for Peter that led him straight to Jesus. You see, the communication of our words and actions, that's what invited Peter to run back to him. And we need to prepare our kids, not just with our words, but with our actions, so that when they make their mistake, they know who they can come to. They can come to their parents, not to their friends. They're going to get dirty. Now listen, Jesus, he didn't just sweep this under the rug. After the resurrection, he looked at Peter and he communicated, do you love me? I'm going to expose this. Because you need to confess. Because when you confess to God you're going to be forgiven. And when you confess to man, you're going to be healed. And so, Peter, I'm not trying to rub it in. No, 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 by asking you three times. I'm choosing to redeem you and restore you by not sweeping your mistake under the carpet, but by exposing it so it can actually strengthen you. So, parent, let's talk to our kids. Because God's talking to you. Take time to talk, letter T. Pay attention to the way that you communicate. Watch your verbal and your nonverbal communication. Listen to their heart. 
Hey, parents, out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. Don't listen to their words. Listen to what their heart is saying. And when you discover it, letter K, provide knowledge for them to grow and be prepared for life. Invest the word and live the word for them to watch and to hear when you talk. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. So thankful for your word and so grateful for this moment. And now I'm asking Jesus because I believe you are talking to people in this room. And I'm praying, Lord, now that your spirit would move. In Jesus' name. Hey, Christian, I want you to be in prayer. Because our Father wants to move some people from his creation to his child. We're all God's creation. We only become God's child when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Now, I'd like for this to be a holy moment, if we can. This is when parents are praying for their children. And maybe your child's not here, and you're praying now that your prodigal would come back home. Like I said at the beginning, it is never too late, as long as we have breath, to make it right with God and right with one another. But today, our Father, Abba, He's speaking to you. And you need to make your relationship, just like Jairus, right with God. And maybe you don't know God. Well, what God did was he sent his son. He sent his son to die for you. For you. It's not an accident that you're here. And our father, he's been trying to get your attention for a long time. It's why you're sitting here right now or you're listening online. And our Father has been knocking at your heart's door because He loves you and He wants to be in relationship with you and He's talking to you now. May you're a believer. And you've walked away from God. And it's time to make your relationship right with God. Today's that day. Jordan is here and he's going to join me up at the altar. And if that's you, I want you to get up out of your seat during this song. And it's time to make your relationship right with God. I didn't give an altar call at the 830. Someone walked up to me and goes, I was ready today. And the Lord just said, he just spanked me, just like our Father so lovingly does. Because today's your day. And I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith and get up out of your seat and let everyone know I'm going to make my relationship right with God. And as we learned on Thursday, there is more joy in the presence of the angel when one sinner repents. This whole audience will applaud because we rejoice with God. So if that's you today, I want to meet you right here. Get up out of your seat with the first note of this song. You feel your heart being tugged right now. Maybe you're a kid sitting with your mom and dad. And it's time for you to make your relationship right with God and with your parents. Just look at mom and dad and say, let's go forward together. Or look at your child and say, let's go make it right with God. Today's your day. Today's the day of salvation. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.